0: When Frank Stagg died, he had three funerals. Not only that, he had two graves and three headstones. That's because when Frank Stagg died in 1976, there was a sort of of tug-of-war over his body between the Irish government and supporters of the provisional IRA. First, there was the Irish government
1: funeral.
0: Then there was the Republican funeral.
1: A muffled volley of shots was fired in salute to Stagg.
0: Both funerals were carried out in full view of the TV cameras. But Frank Stagg's third funeral was a secret affair, carried out in the dead of night. It was a night where there was no moon, continuous driving rain. Six people were there, and now, for the first time, two of them are talking openly about their involvement in Frank Stagg's third funeral. Appropriately, because it took place 40 years ago exactly, on the 5th of November, 1977. Incidentally, all three funerals took place in this cemetery in Balanagh, North Mayo. But Frank Stagg didn't live here and wasn't from here. He was from the other end of the county in South Mayo, which is where you have to go to look for clues as to why a seemingly ordinary Mayo boy grew into such a divisive figure. This is Hollymount, the Stag family home place. And typical of many places in the West, Land isn't great, emigration chosen by many, many people around this area. Frank Stagg's family grew up in a house here, right in front of me, and his brother Sean lives across the road. Describe the house to me, Sean, here.
2: Well, the house was built by uh, the gentry.
0: Frank was born in 1942, seventh out of 13 children, but what marked him out from the others
2: was his sallow skin and dark hair. He was very black. And we had redheads as well, but he was very, very black, odd coloured black.
3: <laughs> very dark, piercing eyes, very small in stature. I wouldn't say he was more than five foot seven.
0: Frank's younger brother, George.
3: He was somebody I looked up to, somebody I looked to for protection in school and that, and he, he would stand up for you, no doubt about that. He had a, a very confident air about himself. He always felt that he could be the best at most things, you know. Whatever he did, he, he always tried to do it really well. If he bought my mother a present, he would always buy her the biggest present, you know?
1: We had a lovely little Oh, He was a great fun, and we often
2: had some great time with him. Oh, he liked to sing he did a lot of songs. And this is Frank singing one of those songs. It's a
0: comic song he wrote about the various characters in Hollymount.
1: We had big... Mike Map who was lively as a top with Jimberk from Cologne Hill and lively George like
3: a bird. My father was a really good old Kamalia singer.
0: Frank's brother George.
3: He had a really great song he sang about the Tour McHaley ambush.
0: And what about Republican activity at that stage?
3: The only link to republicanism we would have had would be through my father. He had a, a background of being in the old IRA, but he was arrested both during the Tan War and during the Civil War. Uh, my mother used to relate a story that she actually seen him being arrested during the Tan War before they had met. And she seen him being marched over by black and tans over to the barracks in Hollymount. That's when she first took a shine to him.
0: In the early 1960s, when he was 18, Frank Stagg left Mayo for England, where he worked in construction and on the buses in Coventry. He married a fellow county woman, Bridie Armstrong, from Carnacan. They had no children. Frank also became involved with the IRA. He kept this quiet, but his brother George guessed.
3: He actually phoned me a couple of times and asked me to buy raffle tickets or something, which were to do with Sinn Féin or prisoners' dependency. he was selling them for but he was very outspoken you know I remember he phoned me one time when I was in Manchester and I said your boys are very quiet over there at the moment and he said back to me well they mightn't be so quiet now when they get this money over there <laughs> 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 which was a bit I thought you know at the time I said to him be careful <laughs> that was the only indication I ever had that he was actually involved until he was arrested
0: that arrest was in April 1973 and it was for conspiracy to commit arson Frank Stagg was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years. While in prison, Frank went on hunger strike on several occasions with similar demands each time. He wanted to be treated as a political prisoner and refused to do prison work. He also demanded that his family not be strip searched on prison visits, and he demanded that he be transferred to a prison in Northern Ireland. He would end his hunger strikes when he was giving the impression his demands were being met. But then, each time, he would discover this wasn't the case. The hunger strike was a potent political weapon, but was a terrible gamble, as Joe McHale recalls. He's a former Republican prisoner.
1: In jail, you're pretty much powerless, but it is a weapon. It has a two-edged sword, you can lose your life, but then also it publicises the cause.
0: Frank Stagg first went on hunger strike a year after he was jailed. It was 1974 and hunger strikers were force-fed in British jails.
3: That was a horrific practice. That was barbaric.
0: Frank's brother, George...
3: Six or seven burly officers would absolutely pin you down. Then a block of wood would be forced between your teeth. He lost two teeth during that time. And there was a hole in the middle of this block of wood. Then a pipe would be forced into your throat and hopefully into your stomach.
0: If not into your stomach, the food could go into your lungs. This is what happened Frank's fellow hunger striker, Michael Gohan, who died the day after one such force-feeding. The British government ended the practice of force-feeding after Michael Gohan's death. Michael Gohan was a fellow Mayo man from Balana and shared a cell with Frank, and Gohan's death and funeral were to have a profound effect on how Frank managed his own death. Frank was transferred around various prisons in Britain. All the time, his family from Mayo kept up their visits, including his mother Mary, who was in her 70s. As well as being strip-searched, she had to run the gauntlet of English nationalist protesters outside the prisons.
3: These people would get up really close to her face, shouting, hurling, abuse at her. You're IRA bastard, son. Bring him out here to us and we'll show you how we deal with these
0: bastards. This was in the mid-1970s, and feelings were running high. The IRA had brought their fight for a united Ireland to Britain, instilling fear in many areas, similar to what Islamic extremists were to do in later years. While Frank Stagg was in prison, the provisional IRA were in the middle of a 14-month campaign of bombing civilian locations, including pubs in Birmingham, in which 21 people died.
4: Glasses flying, chairs flying, plaster
0: coming down. I started
1: screaming and we heard people screaming and then we just went for the back door.
0: These attacks led to spikes in anti-Irish feeling, but rarely as abusive as that suffered by Frank Stagg's mother, Mary, when she went to visit him. Because of this, Frank's brother, George, decided to approach the Irish government to ask them to intervene with the British government to provide his mother with some protection. Garrett Fitzgerald was Minister for Foreign Affairs at the time, with an office in Dublin, in Ivy House.
3: I just knocked on the door to buy the house, a civil servant came out and then I said I want to talk to the minister and he brought me straight up to him <laughs> and I was surprised, <laughs> he took me by surprise but uh, he was very very ar- arrogant I thought you know when uh, he was dismissive of me and he wanted to give me lectures about how Fine Gael governments dealt with hunger strikers themselves so in the end I sort of stood up and said I, I'm fed up with lectures, I don't want lectures I want protection from my mother and if you're not prepared to talk to me about that. No point in being here. This is Kevin Healy with the news at 1.30. First the details read today by...
1: During
0: Morris his first 18 months in prison Frank went on hunger strike on four separate occasions. His fourth hunger strike began in Wakefield Prison near Leeds. It was just before Christmas 1975. ...of our London staff,
1: Frank Stagg, has shown his determination before. He was on hunger strike for 70 days. He continued it after the crisis. It must
2: have been hard to see and hard to watch. Well, very hard to see and hard to watch. His brother, Sean, recalls it well. All he was taking was a drink of hot water. And when he'd get the hot water, he'd place it on the stomach. I'd say to kill the pain, you know. He'd put the hot water on the stomach to kill the pain. When you went over then, did you, like, what did you talk about? Well... When you go to see a man in hunger strike, it's not very easy to tell him to come off it. Because he says, well, I'm on it now, this is what I'm going to do. Like I'm going to continue. And I remember when he was in hunger strike on Christmas Day, we were having the dinner here. And it was very hard to have your dinner on Christmas Day and think of him on hunger strike. I'll always remember that part of it.
1: The British Home Office said today that the IRA hunger striker Frank Stagg is getting progressively weaker. Stag, who hasn't eaten for forty-eight days, is in. Through
0: January and into February, nineteen seventy-six, Frank continued to refuse food. His wife Bridie wrote to the President of Ireland and the Irish Government to act to save her husband's life. But the Irish Government had another equally pressing concern: what were they going to do if or when Frank died? The Gael Labour Government had already been through a funeral of a hunger striker two years previously. The man in question was Frank Stagg's friend, Michael Gohan, who had died after being force fed.
4: I remember the Gohan funeral well. It was 1974.
0: Minister for Justice at the time, Patrick Cooney.
4: His journey from Dublin to the graveyard in Mayo took them through Mullingar, which is in my constituency. And before the funeral, the members of the IRA canvassed all the shopkeepers on the route to close their premises for the duration of the Cortesians passing by.
0: As it crossed the country, the Michael Gahan funeral gathered thousands of mourners. The troubles were at their height in the north at the time, and as well as mourning a man's death, it was a way of showing solidarity with nationalists in the north. When Michael Gohan's funeral arrived in Balaná, the town was thronged with mourners. There was a mass in the cathedral and shots were fired over the coffin. While Republican sympathisers were proud of the turnout, there were plenty in the town who weren't, including the editor of the local paper, The Western People, Jim Maguire.
2: Black Day at Ballina, that's the headline.
0: This is his son, Declan, reading from an editorial in the paper at the time.
2: It was a day in which the entire town was taken over by hordes of militants and its citizens virtually abandoned to the whims of mobs directed by self-appointed dictators.
0: Back in the Department of Justice in Dublin, Minister Patrick
2: Cooney was well
0: aware of the feelings of some people towards Republican funerals, but he was also the minister in charge of the guards.
4: The people of Ballon felt at the time they should be more proactive on the ground to put these blaggers in their place, something which is very often easier said than done.
0: Although it may not have been easily done, By February 1976, it looked like Frank Stagg was determined to die. And if so, Patrick Cooney and his government believed that a mass Republican funeral should be avoided.
4: Down south, the Provas were contemptuous of the government regarding it as an invalid institution. And they were also quite prepared to mount serious challenges to the state. This is not done through force of arms because they had a policy not to use arms against the forces of the Irish Republic. What they did instead was mount large-scale public protests that turned very frequently into riotous occasions and sometimes were linked to other actions, for example, the death of somebody on a hunger strike.
0: Frank Stagg was aware that Minister Patrick Cooney and the Irish government felt like this about hunger strikers' funerals and that they were determined not to have another funeral like Michael Gohan's. They didn't want another cortege processing across Ireland to Ballina drawing support for the Republican movement. And because he knew the Irish government felt so strongly on the matter, Frank Stagg decided to confront them with an exact replica of the Michael Gahan funeral. So he said that, in the event of his own death, he wanted a funeral with Republican military honours and he wanted to be buried right beside Michael Gahan in the Republican plot in the cemetery in Ballinat. He asked for this in an addition to his will, which he dictated on the 57th day of his hunger strike in early February 1976. According to Frank's brother, George, this was a deliberate attempt to provoke the Irish government into action.
3: He had hoped that it would put pressure on the Dublin government to intervene with the British authorities.
0: He wanted them to intervene with the British to concede to his demands and allow him come off the hunger strike. The Irish government did intervene with the British authorities, but they intervened to ensure that if Frank Stagg died, the British wouldn't hand his body over to IRA supporters. The government in Dublin didn't accept the new version of Stagg's will. Patrick Cooney, Minister for Justice, says Frank's widow said she knew of no such instructions for a Republican funeral.
4: And that uh, if he did give any such instructions, he wouldn't have been in a sufficiently strong mental state to fully assess what was involved. The hunger strike is very debilitating physically and mentally on the victim and certainly his capacity to make subtle judgments of a full of political implications would be very much impaired by his condition. That's not true. Frank's mind was there.
0: Lucid. Frank may have been lucid in recording his request for a Republican funeral, but the Irish government weren't the only ones to dispute that request. As well as his widow, Bridie, one of Frank's brothers, Emmett Stagg, who became a Labour TD later, also disagreed that, if he died, Frank should have a Republican funeral. By the way, both Bridie and Emmett declined to participate in this programme. Frank's ploy of forcing the Dublin government's hand by asking for a funeral like Michael Gohan's failed. 62 days after Frank Stagg began his fourth hunger strike, he died.
5: It was the 12th of February
0: 1976. He was just 33 years old. Frank
1: Stag's mother and wife were with him when he died in his cell at 6.20 this morning.
0: His death cert reads starkly in capital letters. Killed himself.
3: Make no mistake, Frank didn't want to die. He didn't want to die. This wasn't suicide. He wanted to live...
0: The body is now the property of the Wakefield coroner, who has ordered... Once the coroner released the body, the question was, who would get it? On the morning of Thursday, February 19th, the two sides of the Stagg family were preparing to leave Britain to fly back to Ireland for Frank's funeral. The two sides were his brother Emmett and his widow Bridie, who wanted a small private funeral. And on the other side, his mother Mary and some of his other siblings, who wanted a Republican funeral culminating in his burial in the Republican plot in Ballina alongside Michael Gohan. Frank's coffin was loaded onto an Aer Lingus plane, but it wasn't the plane the family were flying back on. The British insisted that the coffin be flown to Ireland in a cargo jet. Only one member of the family was allowed to accompany the coffin, Frank's brother George.
3: And there were three seats on the back of the plane, two of which were occupied by two people in in civic clothes. And the middle seat was vacant, so I sat in the middle and I spoke just briefly to the two people. When we arrived at the airport, came touched down and started taxiing back to the uh, building, and uh, I, I just couldn't reconcile where I was in Dublin Airport. So I said to the guys, What part of Dublin Airport is this anyway? And one of them said, uh, Dublin. Uh, Shannon as though I should know, you know. I said, Shannon, what are we doing to Shannon? It's supposed to be in Dublin. So then the other guy then stood up and he produced a badge out of his pocket and he said, I'm Irish special branch. He said, you're under arrest. I said, under arrest? for what, what do I do? He said, I don't have to give you any more information. You're under arrest. So the uh, pilot c- came back and he looked at me with a very sympathetic gaze. Of course, the pilot, I, I understand now, only knew he was being diverted when he got into Irish airspace.
5: An Aer Lingus cargo plane with a coffin had been due to arrive in Dublin from London this morning, but as it approached Dublin airport, the pilot was directed on government instructions to divert to Shannon, where the plane landed shortly after half past eight.
4: There was some resistance from Aer Lingus.
0: Patrick Cooney, Minister for Justice.
4: They felt that they would be unwittingly hauled into a highly conflicted situation.
0: But Erlingus was owned by the Irish government and Patrick Cooney informed the relevant ministers of the company's reluctance to divert the plane carrying Frank Stagg's coffin.
4: They sent word, unequivocal word, to the management of Erlingus. This is what the government wanted and was to be carried out.
5: A government statement within the past hour said it had taken this action in the interests of the security of the state.
0: George was taken to Ennis by the guards, but soon released... A sympathetic taxi driver brought him back to Shannon Airport mortuary, where he managed to see the coffin before being locked out by Garthy. Meanwhile, in Dublin Airport, the family were waiting for the cargo plane with no idea why it was delayed. At Dublin
6: Airport, when they heard about the diversion of the flight, they immediately set off for Shannon.
0: Frank Stagg's body was kept overnight on the Thursday night in Shannon Airport mortuary. Then, on the Friday morning, the body was moved.
1: Just after 10 o'clock this morning, an Air Corps helicopter landed near the mortuary and immediately armed troops surrounded it. Then the rear door of the small mortuary alongside the cargo building opened and uniformed guardee emerged, shouldering the coffin towards the helicopter a few hundred yards away. The Stag brothers shouted that they had not been allowed to see their brother and women supporters screamed and sobbed.
0: George Stagg was filmed Remonstrating with a senior guarder. I just got into his face And I
3: pointed my finger into his face As I'm telling you now
0: I promise you I'll have him back Those standing screaming at the wire fence Looking at the helicopter Taking off with Frank Stagg's coffin Had no idea where it was heading When the helicopter took off from Shannon, it flew due north, up through Clare and West Galway, to here, South Mayo, Frank Stagg's home place, and his childhood parish church, in Robine It's a typical, tiny, little country church, cruciform in shape.
1: There were no members of the Stagg family present, but on that day, it was the
0: centre of national attention. The whole country was following the progress of the body.
1: The pine coffin, flanked by four lighted candles, is now lying in the south wing of the church. Earlier this morning, heavily armed troops
7: and guardie took up positions around the church, and the panhard armoured car, which was
3: brought in, is still standing by. The following morning, there was a mass, and some members, a few members of the family, did attend that mass. George Stagg, Frank's brother. When the mass was finished, his coffin was put into a hearse, wrapped in the tricolour, the hearse was followed by a line of, I would say, about 10
4: armoured cars and was taken in haste to the Ballina. I remember at the time thinking this was a bit over the top. Armoured cars as part of the funeral cortege.
0: Patrick Cooney, Minister for Justice at the time.
4: But on reflection, having regard to the level of frustration on the part of the Provost and their capacity to whistle up a crowd and mount interference, the show force was probably justified.
6: The funeral arrived here on the Saturday under a huge military escort.
0: Jerry Ginty, caretaker of the cemetery in Ballina. Huge
6: amount of trucks, lorries, heavy-armed soldiers. There was a lot of bystanders on the road looking in, but nobody actually got into the graveyard.
1: Since Almighty God has called our brother, Francis Stagg, from this life to himself, we commit his body to the
0: earth from which it was made. Frank Stagg was buried not alongside his friend, Michael Gohan, in the Republican plot, but way over in an empty part of the graveyard where no graves had yet been dug.
1: Christ was the first to rise from the dead.
0: The burial was shown on TV.
1: We commend our brother to the Lord. May the Lord receive him into his peace
0: and raise up his body on the last day.
4: So there was quite an air of tension.
0: Minister for Justice Patrick Cooney.
4: The diversion of the plane from Dublin to Shannon was obviously a matter of fairly high drama. And it uh, was good, careful planning by the police.
0: Of that gather planning, though, there was one significant oversight. They neglected to pay for the new plot they had dug. So, on the day he was buried, no one actually owned Frank Stagg's grave. A fact that would come back to trouble the Irish government later. But on that Saturday afternoon, the government was satisfied. They had managed to get Frank Stagg into the ground, thereby denying the Republicans a show funeral, as well as keeping faith with those in the community who didn't support the IRA.
4: The burial took place and there were no demonstrations there.
0: There may have been no demonstration on the Saturday, but the Republican movement were determined to give Frank Stagg a funeral with or without his body. They were determined not to let the opportunity for publicity from a hunger striker's funeral to go to waste. So the next day, Sunday, they arranged for a commemoration in Ballina. This would take the form of a march through the town and out the road to the cemetery where there would be speeches and a volley fired at the Republican plot.
7: The
1: Republicans arrived in busloads from Belfast and Derry in the north and Dublin in the south. Having been deprived of their own military funeral for Frank Stagg yesterday, they were determined to put on a strong show. Uh, uh,
7: I don't want to exaggerate, but there was definitely a feeling of fear around the town. Local Fianna Fáil
0: TD at the time was Sean Killeary. He had constituents contacting him, worried about the commemoration.
7: There were so many people coming in. Nobody knew who they were, what they were, whatever. So I rang the Taoiseach's office. And as fairness at the man, he rang me back and he said, uh, Look, don't worry, we've been talking about it and we'd we'll be ready for anything. And this was Liam Cosgrove. Yeah. It needed somebody from this side here to say what the feeling in the town was. There were a
5: good few guards that came here on the Saturday, too, like, you know, from.
0: Brendan Cafferty was a guard in Ballanagh
5: at the time. I remember there was a priest here at the time. He celebrated Mass with the guards in the town hall. He prayed for everybody, including late Frank Stag.
1: Over 5,000 supporters of the provisional Republican movement gathered on the quays at Ballinard this afternoon, watched by hundreds of blue-helmeted Irish police. In
5: the I was on duty at the, in the centre of the town at Milet's Corner, actually, you know, and uh, they were pretty hostile and insulting, I suppose, you know, for collaborators and, you know, and doing Britain's dirty work. There was one senior officer, he was in duty farther up, you know, and there was some guy, he marched right up to put his hand up right under his nose as he was passing sea Kyle, you know, and your man never even batted in actually. You get that maybe in Westport or Ballina, but Saturday night maybe,
1: you know. Ballina's 87 bars had been closed for the day as the parade wound its way through the town, led by a car carrying members of Stagg's family. His widow was not present.
7: But in fairness, i said say you know, that the steward in van was good. Sean Killeary, the local TD. They did all they could to stop anything from happening. But
0: then the thousands of marchers got to the cemetery. The Gardaí tried to stop them coming in, but the pressure at the gate was too much.
1: The graveyard had been occupied by several hundred police.
0: The Gardaí Some surrounded Gardaí... the Republican plot. The late Carl Quinn, a local Republican, was there.
7: And there were more armed police and detectives around that grave you think that the man was capable of rising up and destroying everything.
0: Everyone was keyed up. The cemetery was full of Gardaí and mourners. The fields around were full of Irish army soldiers. One slip or misunderstanding would set things off. Jerry Ginty, the cemetery caretaker and local Republican, remembers that just such a misunderstanding came during the Republican ceremony.
6: The volley shots had been fired over the grave. A lot of the people further back thought that the army had fired the shots. And it was absolute mayhem.
1: And scuffles broke out between demonstrators and police.
6: Saw people being carried out, unconscious. People with blood streaming down their faces. Some of the crowd attacked the soldiers in the field. There was a huge amount of fire coming from the field as well. Now We thought it was live ammunition, but it wasn't. It was rubber bullets.
2: And at that stage, our house was actually very near the cemetery.
0: Decton Maguire things. was a teenager in Ballina uh, at, at the time.
2: Near the house. We were actually very afraid at that stage that they were coming to... Burned the house because we had uh, the surprise element of 300 troops marching across our front lawn from the back of the house, which we didn't even know they were there in, in on the bleak side. Mildred Byrne,
0: a Mayor Republican, was also in the cemetery.
2: The fire, the stones and scrawls and shots and, of course, everybody ran and dived for cover. I think that was terrible. It was a shameful event and we'll never forget it. Can you imagine what it was like for the poor mother?
0: The mother, Frank Stagg's mother, provided Jerry Ginty, the cemetery caretaker, with one memory from the day.
6: She said, promise me before I die that my son will
0: be buried in the Republican plot. Jerry said yes to the promise. But for the time being, there was no way that was going to happen.
4: In Ballina, Gorthy are keeping a 24-hour watch on the grave of Frank Stagg at League Cemetery.
0: The government wanted to make sure Frank Stagg's coffin stayed in the plot the guards had buried him in. So they covered it in concrete. Minister for Justice at the time, Patrick Cooney.
4: And it became a source of a a jibe against me for years afterwards. Concrete Cooney, the nickname I was given, not that it worried me. Five Gorthy are in three cars parked a few yards from the grave.
5: It was a rather macabre type of duty.
0: Brendan Cafferty was one of the local guards assigned to guard Frank Stagg's grave. We're living in different times now, but
5: one cannot divorce the period like when you had a guard shot in 75 in a bank raid, you know... Dr Harriman in 1975 You had the UK ambassador assassinated You had Green Street courthouse bombed by the IRA and uh, all
0: that going on then were you, were you ever afraid that it could be this night that some guys might come in because they might want to move the oh, body That or?
5: would cross your mind certainly that would cross your mind certainly you know and uh, like what could one do like we weren't armed or that you know and uh,
0: it wasn't a shift that was sought out by any
5: guard, it was, the, the, the graveyard shift. It, it wasn't. I don't know. There was a time when I was much younger, I'd be afraid of ghosts, but I wouldn't be afraid of the dead.
0: But if you recall, the grave that Brendan and his colleagues in the Gardi were guarding wasn't actually owned by anyone at all. George Stagg, Frank's brother, found this out. He went to Jerry Ginty, local Republican and caretaker of the cemetery in Ballina, to buy the grave. And while he was there, Jerry's mother, Jane, chipped in with a suggestion.
3: I was one to buy the single. She said, buy the double. And I I said, why? She said, in case you ever have to dig down. Give you more room.
0: (laughs) So George owned two graves in the cemetery, his brother Franks, with the concrete on it, and an adjoining empty plot. He placed a headstone on the empty plot which said that his brother's body was buried alongside, having been stolen and defiled by the pro-British Dublin government. After almost a year, the God the Vigil on Frank Stagg's grave was lifted. Then in the summer of 1977, nearly 18 months after Frank Stagg's death, his brother George received a call from Jerry Ginty, the caretaker of the Ballinas Cemetery.
3: He had already been hatching a plan for the removal of Frank. He said, we can do this.
0: Jerry's plan was that when the days became shorter, they would dig by hand down into the empty grave and then dig across into Frank's grave, take the coffin out and rebury it in the Republican plot nearby. However, at that time, they didn't know one crucial fact. They knew the guards had put concrete on top of Frank's grave, but they didn't know if the concrete went down the sides also. If it did, it would be virtually impossible to break into Frank Stagg's grave from the side without using machinery, which would attract attention. To carry out the reburial, Jerry said they'd need six people.
3: Six trustworthy people.
0: Jerry and George would make two. Jerry said he could get one other person, making three, and George would have to find another three.
3: My own brother-in-law, Jimmy Doyle, Sean Comiskey from Trim, and Paul Stanley from
0: Kildare. They decided to try the reburial late in 1977, 22 months after Frank Stagg's death. Jerry Ginty chose the night carefully, November the 5th.
6: It was a night when there was no moon, dark, and as it happened, it was the nastiest night I'd say I've ever seen. A bitter, absolutely bitter cold, continuous
0: driving rain. The night didn't get off to a good start. Jerry was waiting in the graveyard for George Stagg to arrive with his three chosen men.
3: A bit of a flap when we got there because we were about 20 minutes late. We did stop off in Balladrine on the way down and we had one drink each. But he smelt it off us when we got there. <laughs> he said, You mean a drink? <laughs> I said, Calm down, Jerry. We haven't. We had one drink. Just to calm the nerves a bit.
0: The next thing to do was to assign tasks to the six men.
3: He had left his man the man he had recruited, up the town, as a lookout, that was Con Ryan. We put one other man on watch in the graveyard down near the gate, and the, that left four to do the digging. So it was two on, two off, two on, two off. So we don't We made good progress.
0: The weather was so bad that the men were soon soaked through and taking off layers of clothing. But the poor night also meant that there was hardly anyone out and about and therefore less chance of being seen. And because of the lashing rain, gather Brendan Cafferty stopped his squad car on the road that passed the cemetery where the men were digging. He had spotted a couple of drenched pedestrians and offered them a lift.
5: I remember accidentally I knocked on the blue light of the patrol car, so that would be more or less opposite the graveyard, and I'm sure the crowd above, if they were there at that time, they were wondering,
0: <laughs> what's all this about? The blue light didn't disturb the diggers, although once or twice, headlights from cars leaving a nearby house swept across the graveyard and forced the men to duck down. All these were minor crises, though, compared to what faced the men when they were digging down the empty plot.
6: Got down about halfway and a massive rock materialised. I'd say
3: probably a quarter of a tonne weight, nearly. Five feet in diameter. And we thought we were gone. We we said we're gone. We're not going to get us out of here. Um, but Jerry said keep. We'll keep trying for a while, and we'll give it a good every go we can. And we dug round it, and then pushing and pulling with ropes, and we somehow rolled it up in the bank.
0: After the big stone was removed, they stopped going down into the vacant grave and started to dig sideways into Frank Staggs' grave, and made a discovery they were hoping for.
6: There's no concrete down at the sides. The genius that put the concrete on top of it, if he had half a brain, he'd have dug out at the sides of the coffin and left the concrete down at the side, and it would have been nearly an impossible task to move it in. Maybe there might have been a streak of decent to move. The men they were doing it said, Well, let the poor man go and be buried where he wants to.
3: And it wasn't long after that all until we struck the wood of the coffin. And thankfully it was in fairly good shape. We had quite a bit of trouble getting it to move because it was stuck there by suction. But again, Jerry was very clever. We just dug little holes in over the coffin, down around the back of it, and we were able to pull the ropes through and started gently moving it out.
0: What were your feelings then as you were doing this? I mean, you were actually digging up your brother's coffin.
3: My feelings were pride, actually, and a great sense of duty. To the outsiders, it could seem ghoulish, but I didn't feel that at all. Once we got out into this space where we had dug down, we were have to lift it out, and uh, down to the Republican plot.
0: They carried the coffin on a sheet of plywood in case it disintegrated while being moved.
3: Within a short time at all, we had the coffin re The
0: job was done. Frank Stagg was buried where he'd wanted to be, and the six men hadn't been caught doing it. Before they left the graveyard, though, they had one last thing to do.
3: We did say a prayer then. We all saluted.
6: Everyone withdrew from the graveyard and went their own way.
3: We got in the car and we started driving straight back. And I rang my mother to tell her I was done.
0: And she was nice and she cried and she thanked me. Another phone call was made, this time a tip-off to the RTE newsroom.
7: The Gordies say the incident occurred between midnight and dawn, and they've been interviewing local provisional IRA sympathizers. One of those sympathizers
0: was the caretaker of the cemetery, Jerry Ginty, who got a knock on the door from a special branch man looking for clues. He said, How are you, Jerry? I said, I'm grand. He said,
6: Would you have any clay on you? And I said, No, why were you looking for a load? No, 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 no need to be funny now. He said, No need to be funny. He says, You know well what I mean. I said, I haven't a clue what you mean. So I walked up here in the company, the two special branchmen, the superintendent himself walked up here, we got to here. There was a crowd here at the time. There was, there was uh, God, there could be two or 300 people, I'd say, you know, all milling around looking. And this old guy, I don't know who he was or where he was from, comes over to me, standing beside the three cars. They were, they were in the civvies. He was out, his he says, congratulations, Jerry, you've done a great job last night. <laughs> and the three, now, to you,
0: you give the three policemen their due, they nearly died laughing. The guards may have been laughing, but, officially, they were still looking for evidence, something which weighed heavily on the mind of one of George's associates.
3: Jimmy Doyle, he said, I have a confession to make. What's wrong with you? He said, I left my jacket. What do you mean, left my jacket? He said, my jacket was that wet. He said, I took it off. He said, I threw it up in the bank. He said, and and, uh, uh, it's still there. So the next day I rang Ginty and I said, Ginty, we're in trouble. This is jack of the air. Yeah. Well, he said, we were in big trouble because he said, the special branch of have been into me and have, have warned me that that grave is not to be closed in except in their presence. You better come down, he said. <laughs> so I, I went down, I went into Jerry and he said, uh, are the guards up there? No, he said. I said, I have you two shovels? I have. He said, come on. I said, come on, come on quick. We went up and we started digging, filling it in. Weren't long digging at all, next thing, puck. here comes the jacket, over the mound of clay, Jimmy's jacket. So it went down into the grave, under the concrete, and that's the only thing that's down there, is Jimmy's jacket.
0: <laughs> Word came down from the Garda authorities to leave the case be. So, after three funerals, three headstones and two burials, the story of Frank Stagg was at an end. Forty years later, the Stag family are all fully reconciled. Frank's widow, Bridie, remarried and now lives abroad. Jerry Ginty no longer holds the same Republican views he held in 1977. His interest in Frank's coffin being moved is more to do with the decorum of honouring a dead man's last wish.
6: Anybody, when they were dead, no matter who they were, were entitled to be buried in a place of their chosen be buried with dignity and decency and not to be dragged around the state in a helicopter. If Maggie Thatcher was buried in Balna, I would have respected her grave.
0: Patrick Cooney doesn't think the government overreacted. He still holds that the state needed protection at a vulnerable time.
4: There was a hostility to the legitimacy of the state. The state had bought its independence at a very high price some decades earlier, and that was not going to be wasted.
0: George Stagg's interest is to do with honouring his brother's wish, but also fulfilling a promise he made to a guard in Shannon Airport.
3: I was very mindful of the words I had said to the uh, superintendent at Shannon I'll have him back. I promise you, I'll have him back. I did. I seemed to borrow that, but I did.